Today on Sagittarian Matters, Capricorn's crying, getting real about pet mortality, making art when you're depressed, and more with my guest, Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Los Angeles. I was so happy to invite esteemed Capricorn contributor Beth Pickens back to the show this week to answer some advice questions that listeners sent in addressed specifically to her. But before Beth gets to those questions, I cornered her to ask her about something we both have a lot of familiarity with, and that is pet death. Preparing for, enacting, making decisions, grief, everything surrounding pet death. Um, If you have a senior citizen animal and you're reaching for the dial because you just can't deal, I'm giving this introduction today because I want to challenge you to deal. Dealing with the idea that your pet is mortal is one of the greatest acts of love that you can do for them. And it is one of the bravest and hardest things you're ever going to have to do as somebody who loves a pet, who loves somebody who's lifespan is criminally short compared to our own. So I just wanted to say that. And in other news, I haven't seen my squirrel for a week. I fear the worst. So say a little prayer for my squirrel if you can. Anyway, the last thing you need to know is that Beth Pickens and I both start crying at the same time during this episode, which is a Sagittarian Matters first. So look forward to that. Have a great week, and please enjoy my talk with Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens is a Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner, and the author of the book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. She is a frequent contributor to Sagittarian Matters, and you can find her on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting. Or catch us reading together in Portland, March 29th at Psychic Sister. Now please enjoy my talk with Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens, frequent contributor, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. It's, it's a privilege and an honor. Oh my God. We're so happy to have you back in the studios. Producer Ponyo's wearing her cans, doing the levels. And uh, you're here today to answer some advice questions that came in on the off-season, in between appearances on the show. And I wanted to talk to you about something, which is... I want to talk to you about something, too. (laughs) What is it? What is it? I'm not saying I'm going to do this, but if I commissioned composer Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs to rewrite your intro song to be Capricorn Matters, I think I know what the words would be. Please tell me. Capricorn matters. Capricorn matters. I'll tell you what's the matter with you. Oh, that's you good. Know? Could we use that the days that you are the guest on the show? I would really appreciate that. I'll think about it. Let, the, let me run this by producer Chris. I'm going to think. I'm going to really think about this. Um, I do feel I do feel misinterpreted by the Sagittarius memes on Instagram that make me seem like a just like a fucking lunatic. I always tell people I'm like read the Capricorn ones too because the Capricorn matters. Yeah, you have a strong. Well, I think 
Capricorn is like in the friend group of people with periods. The Capricorn uterus is really dominant and everyone's period follows the Capricorn period. Yeah. You have a strong Capricorn period. I do have a strong Capricorn period. Thank, thank you for noticing. <laughs> thank you. Beth, I want to talk about pet death. I know it well. You are a little bit of a death, I don't know, expert, but enthusiast. <laughs> Acceptor. Yes. One of my hobbies is reading about death, all things about death, not in a goth way, but not not in a goth way. appreciate goth, um, but more as like um, an enthusiast of Caitlin Doty, who we love, the mortician, the feminist mortician who wrote Smoke Gets in Your Eyes about her time working at a crematory. And she wrote the book um, From Here to Eternity about death practices from around the world. And she's such a big proponent of death positivity and the death, death positivity movement. And I know that sometimes when you're feeling depressed about uh, life, you read about death and you remind yourself that you're going to die someday. Yeah. I, it, for me, thinking about and reading about death and having kind of a, a death acceptance part of my life, almost like part of my spiritual practice, it just reminds me that I have a limited time on this earth. I don't know for how long I'm going to be here. And that makes me think, how do I want to live today? Well, I, I, I don't know why I'm coming up against this. You know, I know some friends to the show have had pets pass recently and I've been, I, you know, refound some of my blogs about pet death. And so I just wanted to talk about it because I, I really find that when I'm talking to pet owners and I acknowledge the fact that their pet is going to die someday, they act as if I am willing it to happen mm. and as if by accepting it, they are dooming their pet to a quicker demise. And that is actually not the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you meet somebody with a baby, it'd probably also be strange to be like, you know, this kid's going to die someday. You might outlive it. <laughs> it's off putting. Yeah. So one for you for being death positive, one for the other person for being disturbed by what you're saying to them. Fair enough. But I just want to say, if, if, if fair enough, if Nicole comes over for brunch, is holding your toy poodle, is like, you know, the dog's going to die. <laughs> And the people drop their fork and you're like, what? What? I'm just saying it's true. <laughs> it's just true. And I just, I honestly feel like the day, first day you get your puppy, you need, <laughs> you need to buy its burial plot in the pet cemetery in the corner of town. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be an unwise investment because something. <laughs> you should start looking on Yelp for like <laughs> euthanasia specialists who will come to your house. Just have that card on your refrigerator as soon as you come home from the pound. <laughs> you hear that Ponyo producer Ponyo is like pulling at the her, her the neck of her T-shirt. She's like, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> The sooner you start doing a quality of <laughs> Nicole J. George's death acceptance camp, you're all going to die. So are your pets and everyone you've ever loved. Why don't we start the preparations now? <laughs> That's how I feel. I just, here's what I think. I think that doing a quality of life scale, starting say around middle age for your Ponyo seven. If I just went on the computer right now and did a quality of life scale, she's at the peak of her quality of life. And so then I could look at that next year and the year after that and the year after that. And maybe at some point I start doing it every six months because something happens. I know you better not have a bad day. <laughs> You're in danger. <laughs> and then start thinking about what you want to do with their, <laughs> their corpse. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, but I am a person who called 
many, many, um, what are they called when you stuff an animal? Taxidermist. Taxiderm- I called taxidermists all over rural Missouri looking for someone who would taxiderm <laughs> my old cat chicken, who you remember. Because I memorialized chicken. Memorialized. You made a beautiful pet portrait of chicken. This was back in like 2005, six. Yeah. And I was having trouble finding a taxidermist that would do pets. They don't do pets. And the reasons I was given was often because people think they want their pet taxidermed and then they never pick it up because it's just too hard for them. Yeah. Well, so for me, so people, you know, I'm not a Kevorkian. I mean, I, I will. You know, I have a friend before, but I was like, if you don't put this dog down, I'm coming over with a pillow. Because my friend was letting, because of your emotional attachment to your mm-hmm. pet, mm-hmm. and that the fact, I think that our brains have a hard time understanding. You can love someone so much and not, that you can start to not understand at some point that they just have a shorter life cycle than you. So like Beja, my old dog that I wrote the book Fetch about, was 15 and a half, almost 16 years old. In human years, I was like, she's in the prime of her life. She's just a teenager Mm -hmm. looking forward to her first kiss. But as a dog, she was like 150 years old. Mm -hmm. And so when she went downhill, it was just, you know, it was just a matter of time. She wasn't going to spring back and have another great decade. Right. Yeah. And when, and when pets start a decline, you know, it's, it's rapid. It's usually really rapid and it becomes very touch and go. And it's, it's like day at a time trying to understand is, is it time for this animal? And so I, I understand what you're saying. I think the larger thing before we devolved was that people can have a lot of denial about the fact that their pets are not going to live for very long. And because that is so painful, we can be in denial about how, what is their quality of life when they become very sick or ill. Yes. Thank you. It's true. (laughs) Well, so then if you have a quality of life scale, which you can find on the internet, you can then do that. So like, cause I remember my dog lamb chop, he was suffering at some point and I was like, but he still wants to go for a walk. He wags his tail, Mm -hmm. but there were so many other things during the day that he could no longer do Mm -hmm. or that did not bring him, did not spark joy for him. (laughs) Like his body was failing. He, he did have the will to do like one action. And so I was like, that's it. That's all he needs. But like, he also needed to like eat and like eliminate comfortably and be able to move around, get up and down the bed. Like they're not just, you know, they're not, they'll stay here for you if you make them, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's selfish and you're letting them suffer. And I feel like the greatest gift you can give them is, you know, the dignity of having an exit from a failing body when it becomes really uncomfortable and unbearable. Yeah. And you know, since they can't speak English, it's, it has to get really bad for them to vocalize that something's wrong. So you have to rely on those little tiny quality of life mm-hmm. kind of measures. Yeah. And as pet owners and lovers, we have to be willing to do like the hardest thing in the world to decide when our animals are going to die, which is if we could do it for people, we would, right? Like what a gentle, wonderful thing to be in the arms of the person who loves you the most as you peacefully fall asleep and never wake up. And I know I've put a lot of pets to sleep. Not yeah. not like the police don't need to come investigate, but <laughs> in my in my current relationship, we both came to the relationship with elderly animals and we've we like an elderly animal we like a really sick animal yeah well you guys have killed what like six <laughs> well, i don't like to say killed okay. i like to say we've <laughs> gently passed them on to the next dimension no we've euthanized um one two three four five i think we have a lot of pet ashes and i'm the person because i'm the way i am in a crisis in a crisis situation I'm the person who's holding the animal while mm-hmm. it's being euthanized. That's like my, the thing I can do and my, my spouse can't do that. Yeah, I can, 
I couldn't do that. And I feel like it was so helpful for me to have my sister gave me a lecture long before Beja died. She gave me a lecture that I needed to have my I needed to know of a home euthanizer and have someone come to the house. Yeah. To you know, do it. I've never this is shocking, but I've never had a home euthanasia. I've always oh. I've never I just have never had that information on hand. And I've been lucky that in California, everywhere, everywhere I've lived, I've felt a lot of love for the vet that I've gone to. So it's been a, I was willing to go do that because I really oh. like the vet. But I have to tell you, if if you looked up the home euthanizer the first day you brought your puppy home, then you just have it on your fridge. <laughs> I mean, I might find one and just do it this weekend. Nobody's <laughs> sick, but they are at the prime of their life. And why not leave the party when you're having a good time? It's better to burn out <laughs> than fade away. You know, like Kurt Cobain said, like Neil Young said. Neil Young, yeah. He was uh, quoting when he in a suicide note, but um, having a home euthanizer come over was so nice because then my pets at least you know were scared of the vet, mm-hmm. didn't like going to that place, and it wasn't a place that they were unfamiliar, you know. And so, wake when Wishbone died, she got to she got to just fall asleep on my chest mm-hmm. and then never wake up, and that was like a really lovely way for her to go out. But also for me at least, I got so flooded. Because it is stressful being like, when I, I was like, I just paid someone to murder my best friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally gave someone money to be like, do, do it, you know, go you ahead. basically hired a hitman. I hired a hitman. I called Michael Cohen. I saw if he had any connections. <laughs> uh, and I hired a hitman to, to knock off my pets when they were no longer able to live on this earth. But I do want to say I got so flooded that I had a hard time with having patients making the decisions mm-hmm. around what to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. So when Beja died, I wanted her to go to a pet cemetery and then the pet cemetery was full and I remember my brain just like liquefied and poured out my ears because I was like, well, that was as much energy as I had. Right. How does a pet cemetery get full? Well, I don't know. But then they they were like, oh, not there. We want you. You could have a spot in the mausoleum. And I was like, gross. I don't want that. (laughs) And so I was like, what am I going to do with this corpse? I'm a renter. And then some friends that owned a house that I could bury her there. But it's, you know, it's something to think of, especially if you're a renter. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, we, my spouse and I like to have the ashes because the plan is whoever goes first is, um, you know, we have different, I think we have different, my spouse and I have different burial plans. I think she wants to be cremated and I need and want a natural burial in a shroud. (laughs) That's for a separate episode. And so whoever's going first is getting all the ashes with them. Mixed in with their ashes? Yeah. All, all the – so if I'm in my shroud and my corpse is in the shroud buried um, without a, a casket or something that's like made of bamboo, then all – I would have all the ashes buried with me. Oh, that's so nice. So with all the ashes. And if she goes first, um, I'm just going to dump them all in an urn and like leave it somewhere when I move. No, I'll give them <laughs> with me. I'll give them with me. But yeah, so whoever goes first I think is going to have all the ashes. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Michelle Lemoyne, Ken Vellante, Mary Pinson, Tony Pinto, Jill Soloway, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $500, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's Ponyo's voice. Um, I just want to tell you about 
just a side note, a very special episode of my my strange addiction where this woman, oh, no. her boyfriend had passed away and she was addicted to eating his cremains. And the therapist came over and she, she would eat the ashes. She would just like stick her hand like a fun dip and just eat them when she was feeling stressed out or missing him. And, you know, the they had the doctor be like, that's dangerous because there could be formaldehyde in there and whatever. And then the psychiatrist was Why like. Why would there be formaldehyde? I don't know. But the psychiatrist was like, okay, today's the day. You know, we're taking the ashes away. And she, like, ran into the bathroom and locked herself in the bathroom with the bucket of ashes. And she was, like, <laughs> just gobbling them up. As the therapist was, like, let me in. What are you doing? She's, like, no, <laughs> anyway. You know what? Good for her. Good, good, good for her. you. I do want to say my friend Sue, when her dog passed away, she gave me some of the ashes to paint into a pet portrait. And some of the other ones, she had, she had somebody mix them into the ink for a tattoo she got mm. of her dog's name. So then her dog was kind of intermingling with her and always with her. Yeah. I think one of our one of our cat's ashes, who we brought from a beach in Mexico, who was an outdoor cat, Gato, as you remember, um, we returned some of his ashes to the beach where he grew up. Aww. And But I, I, I didn't want to let go of all of them. I kept some of them to be buried with me. Hmm. Uh, what do you think your top tips for people would be, knowing what you know about pet death? Mm, yeah. Um, I think those of us who are, whose, whose animals are like our family, I think we tend to know this. Not everyone understands pet bereavement because there's people in the world who they don't understand, they don't have that kind of a connection to an animal. And then there's people like you and me and the people we know who their animals are their family. So I think one thing is to know that not everyone's going to understand what you're going through when you're going through imminent death and then bereavement of an animal. And that's okay. You can get support from people who really get it so that you can be validated and kind of seen. I think we live in such a death-denying culture that even when a loved one human dies, American culture is such that it, it's sort of like, all right, well, don't talk about it and get back to work, you know? And so if that exists for people, we can imagine the expectations for us to pretend resilience and bounce back after an animal dies. So one tip I have is to understand that this is a traumatic loss, just like it would be for a human loved one. Mm -hmm. It's big, it's real. And grief is a wild ride that you don't, you can't control the timeline of or how it manifests. So sort of just like accepting that it's a real big loss. Um, The next thing I would say is that, and you will get through it. I know the first... (laughs) I mean, Ponyo, fair enough, is a little nervous from this conversation. And producer Ponyo, like, ripped off her cans and is, like, do, doing a backbend saying, look, I'm agile, I'm young, I'm agile, I'm young. Uh, I got a lot of life in me, see? Uh, I would say we're going to get through it. So back in 2008 when my beloved cat, Chicken, when I had to put her down, she was the first animal death of my adult life. I'd had animals when I was still a youth but she was my first really big one that I had to put down. It was really hard because she'd been diabetic for years. So my whole life was based around giving chicken insulin every 12 hours. And she was like my – she was my left arm. She was – I was very attached to her. And so when she was gone, I went through all the grief of like I did it too soon. She's mad at me. Why did I do that? It was a mistake, and, which I think is totally normal and mm-hmm. happens. And I was extremely disoriented. Because my life was architected around this animal, which also happens, especially for people with dogs. Because your life is so oriented around the dog schedule, even more so than a cat sometimes. Um, 
so I, I knowing that like you might be really disoriented because there's like a th- a person an entity you live with is gone it's gonna feel like something's missing so again just acknowledging the severity the the how how grave of a loss it is and maybe making as much space as you can for that but that you will like all massive griefs grief experiences in your life over time you will start to feel more like yourself and more like you can get through the day even if in that immediate aftermath that seems impossible yeah remember when my dogs died and i was just getting out of a long relationship and you came and visited me when i was in grief Ugh. Ugh. you were in so much pain and i felt so much sadness and empathy for you because i knew i just knew you know and so remember you went we went out i'm gonna start crying thinking about this you did karaoke for Beja, and I just sobbed while you were singing. Oh, my God. I sang the song End of the World. Oh, and it just, like, it makes me cry to think about. Oh, my gosh. It was so, you know, these, our animals are so important to us. It was my best, she was my best friend. It was the hardest day of my life. Killing my dog. You know, putting her to sleep. But it's the greatest, I mean, you have to be, you have to be brave and you have to be strong for them because they're relying on you. Mm -hmm. They can't speak words, they can't tell you how much pain they're in and they're relying on you to make a compassionate decision to let them go. Even if you really want them to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is really true. You have to be really brave. You have to do something you don't want to do. You have to be willing. You just have to be really willing to do something you don't want to do and know that you may never be ready to, you know, like I remember asking myself a lot and a lot of people grapple with when their animals near the end of their life, when are they going to be ready? When is the animal ready? When is the person ready? And it's such a hard personal decision, but I think the more you can just have the courage to do something on behalf of your beloved who can't do it for themselves. They can't. <sighs> and oh, so boy, this you... really took a turn. <laughs> but I'm saying, <laughs> if, you see a, if you see a friend in grief, do what Beth Pickens did. Go visit them. Go to karaoke with them. Yeah. I, when people are in deep grief, you know, I've had – when my brother died a couple years ago um, – God, it was almost two years ago now – It was just so nice, all the people I knew without talking to me, without having me having to interact with anybody, you know, just like brought the meal train and brought things to my house and just texted me like, this is on your porch and they would skedaddle. And it's really nice when someone, when you know somebody's in grief to just keep doing things for them, knowing that they might not, they might, they're not gonna, they might not have the wherewithal to respond or say this is what I want or need. I have a friend, I have a very close friend whose father just died, very recently, after a, a really, very harrowing bout of cancer. And we're so there's so little we can do for people when they're in grief because they have to go through it, and the only way to the other side of grief is through it. 
And so I just do the things I could do. I just keep checking in on her every day. Just keep texting her like, how is your grief on scale of one to 10? One looks like this. It's just absolute garbage trash. 10 is you're like high with the realization of the beauty of life, you know? And she's like, it's a two. And I just keep checking in with her. Just that, right? Like it's just so nice when you're going through really hard times in grief, in bereavement of any loved one, any loved being, just to have people say, I'm thinking of you. I love you. Here's a thing I want you to know or what I'm thinking of you. You don't have to answer. I'm just going to keep offering you things Mm -hmm. and saying things to you. Or I, if you live in the same city, I'm just bringing this by your house. You don't even have to answer the door. Yeah. Bringing you some spin drift. Bringing you some spin drift. (laughs) Blackberry spin spin drift. I would say grapefruit, but that's the only one I like. You like the tight bubble of a spin drift. Yeah. I'm dropping off spin drift. I'm, I'm sending food to you. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, bringing you whatever without any expectation you don't have to interact with me yeah leaving on your porch having it delivered etc etc it's so that felt so good if you have an advice question for sagittarian matters call or text our advice hotline 971-361-9998 leave a message we might answer your question on the air and we promise not to answer the phone that is a sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank Dear Nicole and Ponyo, and perhaps Beth Pickens, since being outed seven years ago while attending a Christian college, I've struggled with continuing my art. Prior to that, art was my dream, my, my escape, and my identity. Since then, I've moved across the country and have an entirely different context, but anxiety and panic is what happens when I try to work on writing or drawing. Is it worth pursuing a reclamation of that practice somehow, or does it make more sense to form a new, more reliable reliably lucrative plan for what I'll do with my adult life. Trying to deal with depression and anxiety amidst the constant struggle for financial resources and friends makes art seem like a lower priority. Yet, I badly miss my creative self and worry I'm giving up. Thank you for your thoughts. Stasis in Seattle. Oh, I love that they wrote their own sign off. I know. I'm going to give my short answer and then I bet you have things to say about this. I'm a little bit of a windbag, so I'm sure. I think that... Ultimately, everyone, you need to have a job that will pay your bills. And if your job is not your art, which it probably is not, doesn't zap so much of your mental energy that you can't do your art when you get home. So ideally, something that nourishes you in some way and or doesn't tap all of your physical or mental resources so that you have a little bit left over so you can do your art. I don't think your, I don't think your art needs to be under any pressure to financially support you. Uh, Linda Berry says it's like having a baby and then jumping on the baby and saying, take me to the bank. Like, you know, let, let your art do its own thing, grow up, be its own thing. And someday it might be strong and it might carry you to the bank like a Tom of Finland's illustration. But uh, for now, I think, yeah, of course, keep doing your art. It's worthwhile. Uh, sorry, producer Ponyo, when she got out of the booth trying to show she was alive, she got a little bit too... <laughs> She's really trying to prove her vitality. <laughs> All right, we get it, we get it. I'm not going to call the home euthanizer this week. Um, but also, I'm not sure how getting outed at the Christian college, what that has to do with your art practice. Mm. So I, I, I'm i going to pass the ball to Beth Pickens. Ow, the ball hit me. Um, from the way this question or this this 
this writer, how they strung together the sentences. What I'm making sense of this is a trauma. Some sort of a trauma happened. Yes. Seven years ago while attending a Christian college. And I'm really sorry that you had a very bad homophobic experience or transphobic, however, which way you were outed. Um, I'm also sorry. That nice. (laughs) Riding my coattails. She's not that sorry. That's, it's just awful. And you might have, you might have something that you're already working through with a therapist or any other kind of helping modality, but it sounds like there's a trauma there that first I want you to really make space for. The next thing I would say is artists have to make art because it's how they take care of themselves. So like Nicole saying, I agree, how you earn money may have nothing to do with your creative skills, with what kind of art you make, with what you love. That's okay. That's okay. That's employment. That's how you, you, the way you make money is what supports the rest of your life, including your art making. Now, I noticed something very poignant that you said, anxiety and panic is what happens when I try to work on writing or drawing. And that's what I'm wondering, there might be some sort of a trauma that's connected to your experience at school and being an artist, which might be worth looking into with a mental health care professional to see if there's something that is happening to you physically when you sort of make space to, to write or draw. If that's the case, and sometimes people say panic and they don't really mean full panic, so it's hard to know. We often use the word panic freely, but panic a panic attack is very different than anxiety. But if you're having anxiety or even panic when you try to do these things, the first thing I would recommend is can you try doing something else? Maybe something that's less familiar. Maybe doing a different kind of creative outlet that doesn't have um, the historical relationship to that time at the school that writing and drawing do. That might be through something to do with dance or music, just something that lets you have a creative outlet that maybe doesn't tap into anxiety or fear or panic. Um, It also may be worth trying to pick, trying to reestablish a connection to writing and drawing in a new way in which you restore some joy and levity to the experience. Because I think Artists, like I said, have to make work because it's a way that you take care of yourself. Just like you have to take care of your body, go grocery shopping, clean your house, all those other things. You need to have a creative relationship to yourself too. I'm just reading on to see what else. So is it worth pursuing a reclamation of that process? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's something you're going to need for the rest of your life. So now, now's the time to, to find ways that put you in a creative relationship to yourself that feel like lower stakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you definitely don't have to do work that's heavy. You know, I know that I have lists of things I want to do work about and some of them are heavier and tap into emotional experiences that are unpleasant to revisit. And some of them are lighter and have nothing to do with anything and have to do with something that's just makes me happy to draw or paint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, and also I do a warm up drawing, especially if I've been out of sync, out of whack, I haven't been drawing as much because I've been having to do admin stuff for my day jobs. I will do a warm up drawing before I like hit my main project just to get my hand going, just to get in the mode of it. And so the warm-up drawings can actually, things could come of that. That's what my anonymous fuzzball series is. I would have taken notes at, you know, different group therapy settings. And then at the end of the day, been like, I'm just going to draw whatever animal I want to draw. Maybe I'm going to Google it. Maybe I'm just going to draw from memory. And then I'm going to attribute some quote that I heard to this animal. And that was like a way for me to kind of get into drawing 
without it do, being anything that meant anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and since we both love Linda Berry so much and there's so much in this conversation that evokes her, if um, listener, I, I recommend getting one of Linda, Linda Berry's books, the one on drawing, um, what it is. Mm-hmm. Get one of her books that takes you through a series of exercise and maybe just enter into creative practice where you're just following her books, where you're writing, responding to her writing prompts and doing the drawing prompts. That might be a sort of a low stakes way for you to enjoy something that is also maintaining a creative practice. Oh, I really like that idea. Yeah. Start small. I mean, I have to say, if you have to start bottom of the barrel small, even start with like a coloring book, one of those adult coloring books. Or even a non-adult coloring book, and just do the shading in a really fun way. Um, do okay, read the next one? we have another one, but good luck to you, and uh, please keep in touch and let us know what happens. Yeah, let us know what 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 goes on for you next. Dear, on, on here Capricorn on Capricorn matters. <laughs> Sagi Capricorn matters. <laughs> okay, next one is while my art may save my life. For the last three months, I have been debilitated by surgery and I'm still in recovery. I feel very, very far away from my practice and as a result, far away from myself. It's really affecting my sense of well-being and, you know, my will to live. When physically unable to make work, what can an artist do? XO, empty squirrel shell. I am very impressed with everyone's sign-offs. I appreciate that people understand that I'm not as good at writing sign-offs there. Um to this person, I would say some of your other advice I would say to this person too, which is, is there a different creative thing you can do that will give you a feeling that's not the thing you're, norm- you're used to doing with your body? Like, can that be you making your own podcast from bed by talking into your phone? Could that be you singing or uh, creating a whistling career for yourself? I don't know if you saw The Whistler at Weirdo Night, but I saw a professional whistler sing, sing the song Runaway using only whistling. I cried. It was so beautiful. It was so... I cried. <laughs> it sounded just like that. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know anything about what's going on with this person physically, the nature of their surgery, what, if any, mobility they have. But whatever you can do, even if it's radically different from what your art practice normally is, if anything, if, if you can do nothing else, can you record kind of a pseudo memoir of what it's like to be um, debilitated for three months? Yeah. Like all because it's all content. So you are in recovery and there is going to be a point where you are going to regain mobility and your health and your body's going to get stronger and you're pro- hopefully likely going to return to some of your former creative practice. And this what you're going through right now might be really rich content to draw from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more an experience sucks, it makes you uncomfortable. Generally, the better content. The better the content that you can use later. And then you could also work through it by creating the content. I mean, especially like if you could get it together enough to write this message to me, then I believe that you could dictate, you could at least dictate something else into your phone, into whatever, to your partner, to somebody else. Exactly. I think that the, what, what you're going through right now is a really rich source of future content. And so I would encourage you to capture this in any way you can. If it's taking notes, if it's writing, if it's typing, if it's sort of just speaking into a memo thing so you can record your thoughts. But capture this time because you're going through something that you may want to draw on later. Yeah. It's all content. Everything is content. Everything, Even this moment is content. This moment is content. 
Uh, Beth Pickens, thank you for coming and visiting us again on Sagittarian Matters. It's always an honor and a privilege. We're so happy to have you here. You and I are going to be together in Portland, Oregon, doing very short readings at a very giant reading. Uh, what day is that? That is Friday, March 29th at Psychic Sister in Portland, Oregon. We're part of an epic 14-person reading event that is, I mean, there's, it's an incredible group of writers. I can't, I don't even know if I want to start talking about them because I don't know if I'll remember all of them. No, there's no way to remember them all. But Michelle T is going to be there. Allie, Allie Bigot. Brontes Purnell. So many other people. So Chelsea Johnson. Like dozens. Many friends of the show are going to be there. Yeah. So get your tickets, Psychic Sister, and uh, we'll see you also at the AWP conference. We'll both be there in Portland. <laughs> so find us. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Nicole. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. No more crying. Oh my God, we both started. <laughs>